See, I know where the extroverts are because they keep wanting to talk over there. The introverts are all ready. Okay, I'm, I'm done talking. Um, you know, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our Roman series. And today and next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, Good Friday, uh, we're going to have a guest speaker, David Talley. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the Gospel of John and little uh, snapshots from within John that reveals Jesus Christ a little bit more to us, all climaxing on Easter Sunday. Today we'll be in John chapter 1, verses uh, 35 through 51, if you haven't found your place there. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. It's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and of the four gospels. John chapter 1 is probably the chronologically the earlier one that happens. And I believe in John chapter 1, John answers partially the, this particular question. The question is this. How did we, uh, in the Christian faith, go from zero disciples to, uh, in, in about 2010, 2.2 billion followers of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> How do we go from zero to the, the biggest religion in the world? How do we do it when Jesus Christ <coughs> never wrote a book, Jesus Christ never held an, a government uh, or any kind of a, an official like, title? How do we do it when Jesus Christ never led an army and conquered other nations? How do we do it when Jesus Christ never really traveled outside of his little towns uh, to spread his message? How did Christianity or the message of the gospel go from zero disciples to the most dominant, uh, life-changing, earth-changing force in the world. John, I believe, gives us a partial answer, and he does so by uh, highlighting two relatively uh, um, unknown disciples uh, and for them to do somewhat unimpressive things but I believe the reason John highlights this is to give us a template, um, a strategy in how the church even today and Christians today ought to, to follow, okay? And so what we're going to do is look at uh, the small ministries of two people, Andrew and Philip. And so if you are an Andrew today or if you're a Philip, hey, this, this is for you, okay? Okay. Um, and, and these are, in some ways, um, disciples that are not as well known, and I call them incomplete disciples, um, and, and we're going to look at both of these, and then four applications from what they do. So let's look at chapter, 30, uh, chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John, and we're talking about John the Baptist now, was standing with two of his disciples. John had many disciples. He had two of them. We find out later on that of the two, one of the disciples' is, uh, name is Andrew. He was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Okay? So uh, John says of Jesus, Hey, behold the Lamb of God. Now, John had been teaching about the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 29, he called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you know the Old Testament, if you remember the 10 plagues um, when the Jews were in uh, Egypt, 
the tenth plague is when death came over, but in order to... uh, in order for death to pass over, they slayed a lamb or a goat and sprinkled blood on the doorpost, right? And so this is uh, reminiscent of that. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in verse uh, 34, he calls him the Son of God, uh, saying that Jesus is uh, God. And so John the Baptist had been teaching that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, is not uh, just a teacher, but so much more. He is the, the answer to the problem of sin. He is the answer to the problem of death because he's God, okay? And now, as Jesus is passing by, he says to Andrew and the other the disciple, behold the Lamb of God. And when they hear this, they began to follow Jesus. Now, I want to make it clear that I don't believe Andrew became a fully functioning follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, basically, this is, we have uh, first lunch today. Andrew, Andrew, do you want to go have lunch with Jesus? I said, okay, free lunch, I'll go. And that's probably about the, uh, the gist of his commitment at this point. He was curious, open to learning more. Jesus turns to him and asks a layered question, what do you seek or what are you seeking? Now, this question, what are you seeking, can be something very shallow, like, are you looking for a meal with me? Or it could be something existential. Are you seeking uh, the answer to the question of uh, questions that exist in life? Like, um, why do I exist? What's my purpose? And I believe, if you think about it, that Andrew not only had the shallow questions, but the existential question. Why am I here? Why, why do I exist? After all, if you think about it, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was his uh, prophet, uh, a voice crying in the wilderness. He didn't have a big following. He, his message wasn't very popular. He didn't have a lot of money coming into him. Um, and Andrew was out there listening, I believe, because he was hungry. He, he wanted answers. And uh, the, the two disciples asked uh, Jesus, Rabbi, where are you staying? He calls him uh, Rabbi, although John the Baptist had told him he's more than just a rabbi, but still they default to his base uh, title, teacher. Where are you staying? Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I want more. Um, where, where really is first lunch? I, I want to go there so I can sit and listen more. Grow one-on-one, I'm not sure what that is, but can I sign up so I can sit down and spend more time listening and asking questions? And Jesus invites him and says, come and you will see. You don't understand quite who I am, but if you follow me, you will see. You have a longing and a hunger, come and it will be clear to you. And these two disciples stayed with Jesus during the duration of the day. Now, I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 40. Something happens in verse 40. Okay? It says that um, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so now we're finally given a name, but we've kind of known because I told you. Um, 
And he had this famous brother, and who will become famous, which is Simon Peter. He's probably the most famous of the 12 disciples. And it says in verse 41, what Andrew does is he first found his own brother, Simon. One of the first things that Andrew does after having spent a little bit of time with Jesus is he goes out and finds his brother. He goes, listen carefully, from becoming uh, from uh, a follower And although he wasn't a fully committed, fully formed follower yet, he goes from being a follower to an inviter. So he was just going to first lunch, meet and greet, uh, grow one-on-one to, he goes to his brother saying, hey, uh, you've got to come check this out for I have found um, the Messiah or which means Christ, I have found the one that our people have been waiting for, longing for, praying for, for all of these years. Our, our people have been suffering, um, and, and, and we have been waiting for a Messiah, anoint, the anointed one, the chosen one, and I have found him. How is it uh, that the Christian movement had gone from nothing to 2.2 billion people. It's because uh, of someone like Andrew went from being a follower to being an inviter. You know, I want you to uh, understand that Andrew does not uh, go to his brother and make a moral judgment and saying, hey, you sinner. He doesn't try to go and give him an intellectual argument to try to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He goes to his brother and just tells him what he has found. I believe this is a clue that John is giving to us, almost a template in how we as um, novice followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to go from being a follower to being an inviter. That as we start into our journey of discovery that we are to, to go tell others, you know, and we don't have to be morally superior. We don't have to be morally better than those who don't go to church. We don't have to be completely intellectually informed, and, and we don't have to have all of our uh, act together. We just need to tell them what we have seen and what we have heard. Dr. D.A. Carson wrote in his commentary, Andrew thus become, became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of friend to friend, brother to brother. That is Andrew. Now let's talk about Philip. And I know we have a bunch of Philips in this room also. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to uh, go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. He doesn't give him the scope of following. I know if uh, someone said to follow me, I would say, where to? How long? Are you, is it going to be all paid expenses or do I have to bring my credit card? Is it going to be a hard trip? Should I bring sneakers or dress shoes? You know, I, I, I have a whole slew of questions. Can I bring my wife and my, my girls or is it just me? Um, am I coming back for dinner, or what is it? Right. He, um, but Jesus just says, follow me, and Philip becomes a tepid follower. What he does in verse 45 is what Andrew did also. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He goes and finds a friend, and not with uh, intellectual superiority or moral uh, confidence, but he just goes to him and we found him, the one that our people have been waiting for, the one that the prophets had been written about. And Philip, um, um, after having said that, um, is asked a question by Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And apparently Nazareth was a town in which was kind of like looked down upon by people. It's, I know I've joked around um, before, and, and if any of you are from this particular town, I ask for forgiveness, but um, it's like kind of saying, can anything good come out of Fresno? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can look up armpit of California, and it actually comes up Fresno. Um, last time I said this, uh, the person, one of the, 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 the persons who lived in Fresno is saying, you know, you're not wrong, Pastor Steve, that, that's correct. And so Nazareth had such a bad reputation that uh, Nathaniel says, if the Messiah is going to come, he's got to come from somewhere cooler than that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there was a good answer for this question, but Philip doesn't know the answer. And so what he does is he does the next best thing, and he says uh, back to uh, Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. How did the Christian movement gain speed? It wasn't that someone like Philip said, I will enroll in an accredited seminary and have uh, a master's degree in theology so that I can uh, teach accurately. It wasn't that uh, they decided uh, they're, they're going to put together an amazing children's ministry with uh, original dance and curriculum and, and say to Nathaniel, you and your family should come. It wasn't that, that they were wanting to put together a cool band with lights and um, in, a, in a space with comfortable chair and air conditioning. They didn't wait for any of that. Philip just went to his friend and said, come and see. As Dr. D.A. Carson again said, that has been the foundational principle of truly Christian expansion ever since new followers of Jesus bear witness of him to others who in turn become disciples and repeat the process. And when Nathaniel, the one who had questions, come and see Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to him in a supernatural way. And so Nathaniel confesses, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I believe what John is doing by revealing these two uh, men, Philip and Andrew, is that he's giving us a template to how we, he wants the church, how he wants us as tepid, novice, incomplete followers of Jesus Christ to act, to do, to go from being simple follower to becoming an inviter. Now, let me give you four applicational points, and this is where I'm going to spend uh, more of my time. Let me give you the first point. We are all called, each of us are called to begin incomplete. We are all called to begin incomplete. Every disciple begins their journey incomplete, ignorance, immature. 
each one of us, if I can say it uh, kind of crudely, begins stupid. We all begin stupid, and we all have a little bit of stupid within us throughout our lifetime, in this lifetime. I don't know if I've uh, you know, said to all of you, but I was a computer engineering major at UCLA, right? And uh, I took some uh, electronics cl uh, classes and such, and uh, right after my sophomore year, Going into my junior year, I got a paid internship at a company called Teledyne Control. I don't know I, what they make. I, I just worked there for pay, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, on my, one of my first days at work, my boss, my engineering boss, uh, pulled up a schematic. Schematic is a drawing uh, with electronic symbols and boards. And you, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, okay, I'm going to look at you because you know what I'm talking about. All right, thank you. All right. Pulled up a schematic, and back then, this was like computers are so rudimentary. Uh, my very first two computer classes, I, I programmed on punch cards. Um, memory uh, was like, you know, like, like 8K was like, oh my gosh, 8K of memory, oh my gosh, right, that kind of thing. And um, they, they had a big board, uh, uh, I believe it was an 8K memory board. He had a schematic of it, and he wanted me to calculate uh, the current going through some of these things. Okay, are we still tracking? All right, so affirm me, okay? Everyone else is kind of looking at me like I, I you know. Um, and so there are these diodes and uh, resistors, right, right, okay. Right, all right, okay, I got another one nodding. Thank you, Esteban, right? Um, and there are voltages uh, and such. And so he, he said, okay, uh, and he, he, he's lobbing up a real easy one for me because I'm, a, you know, like a first-day uh, intern. Calculate the currents going through these things. Now, mind you, we had the resistance and had the voltages, okay? Um, and I looked at it, and I said, how do you do that? No, he said, you know, Calculate the current. There's, there's the resistors, and there's the voltages. And I, I just looked at it, and I looked at it really hard. I, well, I, I don't know. Can, you know. Can you explain it to me? So he got out his mechanical pencil, right, as all good engineers would. He wrote on the schematic V equals IR. And for engineer, you know that that's Ohm's law, right? That is like the most basic of formula. And it's like if you're in geometry, catapult students, it's like giving someone, it's like your math tutor um, trying to, um, you know, like calculate the hypotenuse and he has A squared plus B squared and he doesn't get, you know, C squared. Um, when he wrote V equals IR, I felt stupid. <laughs> I just looked at it. I, I didn't know what to say. I, I just like, okay. <laughs> it's like, boy, they regret hiring me for the whole summer. And I ended up working there the whole year. There are times, um, and especially in the beginning, we start stupid and we hold a little bit of stupid within us this lifetime. That no matter how long we are even a Christian, we don't quite know all of 
the Christian faith. And no matter how much we've grown, we don't always fully live out our faith. There's something uh, stupid about us. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, what kind of degree you've gotten. I've, I have my master's in theology. It took four, four years and uh, three years of Greek and two years of Hebrew. I got my doctorate. Uh, when Dr. D.A. Carson, the, the, the Dr. Carson that I keep quoting, he, uh, he, he is one of the finest theologians in the, in the world, actually. He, um, I was driving him. He spoke for Living Hope in January. I was driving him to the airport on Sunday after everything. Oh, this is my time. I can ask him questions. And I asked Dr. Carson about, hey, you know, New Testament authors, they uh, take liberty in uh, interpreting Old Testament passages. What did you think about that? And he said to me, have you read my book, so-and-so? And, you know, I, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not very smart. I'm pretty honest. I said, no. To be honest with you, I've never even heard of that book. <laughs> And um, I should have actually just read a list of all the books he's written just so that I can pretend like at least I know. And then he began to explain all of it. And as I was driving, I was like, yeah, right. I felt stupid. We begin stupid, and there's a little bit of stupid in us the whole way. And I, I don't want us to kind of forget that. The second thing that we are called to do is we are called to ask, listen, follow, stay, and obey. To ask, listen, follow, stay, and obey. For Philip and Andrew, what do they do when they uh, lack, when they're a little bit incomplete, when they're immature, when they're a little bit ignorant? Well, these are some of the uh, verbs that kind of describe what they did. They asked questions. They listened to Jesus. They followed him, uh, although they didn't quite know where they were going um, and they obeyed, and most importantly, and I think this is perhaps the most important, they stayed. They stayed. In um, Jesus' um, ministry, there was a particular uh, scene, if you remember, he fed 5,000 people. And the way that they counted people at that time, they would count ad adult males. And so that probably means there were a lot more people than 5,000, and, and um, these people got free bread and free fish. Kind of, you know, and, and we, um, Jesus actually led the very first mega church, and this was it. It was like free taco Sunday, and they were all excited, right? All you can eat tacos, all you can eat bread and fish. Oh my gosh, this is great. They're all signing on. They want to become members of, of Jesus' uh, movement. And then later on, Jesus begins to say some strange things. Like, if you, eat my if you eat my body, you eat my bread, and things of that nature, what is he talking about? Is he kind of insinuating that, that we become cannibals? We, we don't quite understand. This teaching is difficult for us to hear. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples. Now, the New Testament oftentimes refers to the term disciple and we normally think that that's the 12 disciples, although they're the 12 apostles, but disciple is just a generic term for anyone who kind of follows. And there are many people who kind of follow Jesus, but when Jesus began to uh, give them difficult things, it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And then Jesus turns to uh, the remnant, the 12 and asked, 
if they're going to go away as well. And it's Simon Peter, Andrew's brother, who answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter representing the disciples, uh, the rest of the disciples saying, where do we go? We don't understand all of this, but we could become convinced that you are the Holy One. You are the chosen one. And there are going to be times in life where we don't understand why there's pain and suffering in this world. We, we're not, we don't quite understand all the, the teachings that are so unpopular and politically incorrect. We don't quite understand if things make sense, but we're going to stay. Listen, there are times in the Christian faith where life isn't going to make sense, where Christianity isn't going to make sense. But you hold on to that which you are sure that God is God and Christ is Christ and he's died for you. And you hold on to that and say, where else can I go? There's a third lesson here. We are called to invite others from a position of incompleteness. Invite others from a position of incompleteness. One of the reasons why so many of us have a difficult time inviting others into the journey of knowing Christ, learning about Christ, is because we feel incomplete. That we feel incomplete in our life and our faith. That we feel like we are a bad testimony. That we know that we should be an embodiment of the gospel, but we are not. And that a couple of weeks ago, I said the, one of the strongest or the, the biggest reason why uh, many Americans become atheists is because of the hypocrisy of Christians in America. And we look at our own lives and we say, yeah, that's me. My life is incomplete. How can I invite others to say, come and see? But I want to be clear on this thing here. Uh, and, and this is so important. When we say, come and see, and, and uh, I want you to uh, look at the right here, um, your right. What do you see on top that's lit? What is it? Okay, someone say it aloud. Don't, don't be so shy. Okay, good. Thank you. And I want, and who said that? What's your name? Alex? I don't know if someone's lying to me, but that's all right. <laughs> They're all pointing at each other. Okay, when you look up there, there's an exit, right? But I want to be clear, that's a sign. And the exit is there merely to point to the exit. And, it, and my, our brother said it correctly, it's not an exit, it's an exit sign, Right? I want us to uh, be very clear on this thing here, that we are not the Christ. We are merely giving signs to the Christ. We are pointing to the Christ. That we're not the Savior, but Jesus is the Savior. You know, you could be uh, the embodiment of Muhammad uh, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, and Martin Luther King Jr., all wrapped in one, that you could be an extraordinarily generous and sacrificial and kind 
person. You can serve and love and counsel, feed, financially support people around you. Uh, you can get alongside, come alongside of the poor and the destitute. You can do all of that, but let me be clear here. No matter how much you try, no, mat no matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how much you give, you can never give people forgiveness for their sins nor uh, eternal life. Does that make sense? You can make people feel better in this lifetime. You can make people feel less guilty, but you cannot forgive them for their sins, nor can you give them eternal life. There is only one who can, and that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and the Son of God who has power over life and death. We are not the exit. We are not the gate. We are merely the sign, the pointers. And so when we look at our lives and say, well, I am incomplete. My, my sign is all crooked. It's not well lit and, you know, it's, it's, it's dirty, unattractive. Yeah, all of that is true and we need to do better. But we're not the Savior. We're merely pointing to the Savior. That's why Andrew was able to invite Simon in his incompleteness. Philip invited Nathaniel in his ignorance. So the Samaritan women invited um, uh, the town people uh, in her immorality. And Matthew, the tax collector, uh, gathered the sinners in his home um, and in his uh, immaturity. We are not the Savior, but Jesus is. And let me give you the last point, that we are all called to trust Jesus to reveal himself. We are all called to trust Jesus to reveal himself. I think that one of the reasons why, and it's kind of similar to point number three, that we get intimidated in inviting people to come and learn about Jesus is because we think that our job is to say, come and see me. Uh, that it's your personal life that you're inviting people into. Or come and see my program. We have an amazing program for kids. We have an amazing a music ministry. Uh, we have an amazing sports ministry. Or come and see my pastor or my church. In this particular passage, come and see a curse twice. Jesus tells Andrew, come and you will see. And, and Philip says, uh, come and see to Nathaniel. And do you know what both of them were saying? He, they weren't saying, come and see my pastor. Come and see my personal uh, character. Come and see my church. Come and see my tribe. They were saying, come and see whom? Jesus. Come and see Jesus. But, the, but th this is what happens. We don't really trust Jesus to be Jesus. We think that we have to help him with great music, great air conditioning, great song and dance. That unless we have the right ethnic makeup, right socioeconomic makeup, that just the right environment, that they won't come and experience Jesus. You know, I, um, we can be warm, entertaining, we can be uh, professional and slick, none of those things. 
None of those things can give people forgiveness and eternal life. Only Jesus can. So when we invite people, it's not so that they can come and see how great our programs are because if they come and see uh, how great our programs are, we'll become arrogant and those people will simply be impressed by the programs. If we, if we think that it's, you know, like this is the right, exact right, um, like community makeup for them, they'll be a good fit. And they come and they have a couple of bad interaction and we'll become really insecure. And they'll look down on us when in reality what we're saying is that we want you to come and see Jesus. LifeWay did a research of some 15,000 adults in North America and found this, that about 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. That's about two-thirds of Americans saying, you know, if a friend simply invited them, they would be interested. When I ask you to stand up and ask uh, you to share with uh, others um, hi, my name is Steve, and I came to Living Hope through by, I believe many of you said this, if not, I, I think this is the vast majority said this, a friend, a family member, someone whom you had a pre-existing relationship with, and they may not be perfect, and you might not even like them, but a friend invited me. A friend in invited me. He, that person did the initiation uh, as a casual conversation, an email, a direct message, or something. They, they went out of their way to come check it out. Not to validate them, but to check out the, the message of Jesus Christ. Some 2,000 years ago, we started with zero disciples. Some 2,000 years later, 2.2 billion Christians in the world, the most dominant religion, uh, the name of Christ is the most influential, world-changing name. How? It's when friends simply ask other friends to come and see Jesus. And I want you to know that there are friends right around you and you may think that maybe living hope is not the right fit for them, but they're right around you, wanting, waiting someone to ask them, perhaps a sister, would you come and see? I'm going to ask the band to come up and uh, the servers of communion to come up at this time. I think, though, still our problem is that we still trust in our goodness and abilities, and we think that that's what will do it. But I want you to understand that we will never be good enough. And so he reminded us some 2,000 years ago as he passed the bread and he's passed the cup, uh, this was broken for you, this was given for you. And so um, as the band begins to the music, uh, it, that will be the invitation for you to come, get a piece of bread, get a cup, go back to your seats, and we'll partake of communion together. <laughs>